Section number 20 of Grotesques and Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Nerger. Grotesques and Fantasies by Israel Zangville. Flutter Duck. Chapter 3. Flight. The goose flew this way and flew that, and filled the house with clamor. Tennyson, the goose. Flutter Duck could not resist rushing in to show the gorgeous goose she had bought from a man in the street, a most wonderful bargain. Although it was only a Wednesday, why should they not have a goose? They were at the thick of the busy season, and the winter promised to be bitter, so they could afford it. Nee, nee, there are enough festivals in our religion already, grumbled her husband, who, despite his hacking cough, had been driven to the work-table by the plentifulness of work and the scarcity of hands. "'Almost as big a goose as herself,' whispered Emmanuel Lefkovich to his circle. He had made his peace with his wife, and was again become the centre of the workroom's gaiety. "'What a bargain!' he said aloud, clucking his tongue with admiration, and Flutter Duck, consoled for her husband's criticism, scurried out again to have her bargain killed by the official slaughterer. When she returned, doleful and indignant, with the goose still in her basket, and the news that the functionary had refused it Jewish execution and pronounced it tripha unclean for some minute ritual reason, she broke off her denunciation of the vendor from a sudden perception that some graver misfortune had happened in her absence. Nee, nee, said Lewis when she stopped her chatter. Decidedly, God will not have us make festival today. Even you must work. Me? gasped Flutter Duck. Then she learned that Emmanuel Lefkovich, whom she had left so gay, had been taken with acute pains and had had to go home and worked pressed, and Flutter Duck must understudy him in all her spare moments. She was terribly vexed. She had arranged to go and see an old crony's daughter married in the synagogue that afternoon, and she would have to give that up, if indeed her husband did not even expect her to give up the ball in the evening. She temporarily tethered the goose's leg to a bedpost by a long string, so that for the rest of the day the big bird waddled pompously around the floor and under the bed, unconscious to what or whom it owed its life, and blissfully unaware that it was Tripfa. Nee, nee, sniggered Lewis, as Flutter Duck savagely kicked the cat out of her way. Don't be alarmed, Rebetskin won't attack it. Rebetzin is a better judge of Trippus than you. It was another cat, but it was the same joke. Flutter Duck began to clean the fish with an intensified viciousness. She had bought them as a substitute for the goose, and they were a constant reminder of her complex ill-hap. Very soon she cut her finger and scored the walls vainly in search of cobweb ligature. Bitter was her plaint of the servant's mismanagement. When she herself had looked after the house, there had been no lack of cobwebs in the corners. Nor was this the end of Flutter Duck's misfortunes. When, in the course of the afternoon, she sent up to Mrs. Levy on the second floor to remind her that she would be wanting her embroidered petticoat for the evening, answer came back that it was the anniversary of Mrs. Levy's mother's death, and she could not permit even her petticoat to go to a wedding. Finally, the gloves that Flutter Duck borrowed from the chandler's wife were split at the thumbs, and so the servant was kept running to and fro, spoiling the neighbors for greater glory of Flutter Duck. It was only at the eleventh hour that an embroidered petticoat was obtained. Altogether there was electricity in the air, and Emmanuel was not present to divert it down the road of jocularity. The furrier stitched sullenly, with a presentiment of storm, but it held over all day, and there was hope the currents would pass harmlessly away. With the rising of Flutter Duck from the work-table, however, the first rumblings began. Lewis did not attempt to restrain her from her society dissipation, 
but he fumed inwardly throughout her toilet. More than ever, he realized, as he sat coughing and bending over the ermine he was tufting with black spots, the incompatibility of this union between ant and butterfly, and occasionally his thought would shoot out in dry sarcasm. But Flutter Duck had passed beyond the plane in which Lewis existed as her husband. All day she had talked freely, if a whit condescendingly, to her fellow furriers, lamenting the mischances of the day. But in proportion as she began to get clean and beautiful, as the muslins of the great mirror became a frame for a gorgeous picture of a lady, Flutter Duck grew more and more aloof from workaday interests, felt herself born into a higher world of radiance and elegance, into a rarefied atmosphere of gentility that froze her to statue-like frigidity. She was not Flutter Duck then, and when she was quite dressed for the wedding, and had put on the earrings with the colored stones and the crowning glory of the chignon of false plates, stuck over with little artificial white flowers, the female neighbors came crowding into the workroom bordeaux to see how she looked, and she revolved silently for their inspection like a dressmaker's figure, at most acknowledging their compliments with monosyllables. She had invited them to come and admire her appearance, but by the time they came she had grown too proud to speak to them. Even the women of whose finery she wore fragments, and who had contributed to her splendor, seemed to her poor dingy creatures, whose contact would sully her embroidered petticoat. In grotesque contrast with her peacock-like stateliness, the big triffa goose began to get lively, cackling and flapping about within its radius as if the soul of Flutter Duck had passed into its body. The moment of departure had come. The cab stood at the street door, and a composite crowd stood round the cab. In the ghetto a cab has special significance, and Flutter Duck would have to pass to hers through an avenue of polygot commentators. At the last moment, adjusting her fleecy wrap over her head like any grand dame, from whom she differed only in the modesty of her high bodice and her full sleeves, Flutter Duck discovered that there was a great rent in one part of the wrap and a great stain in another. She uttered an exclamation of dismay. This seemed to her the climax of the day's misfortunes. "'What shall I do? What shall I do?' she cried, her dignity almost melting in tears. The bystanders made sympathetic but profitless noises. "'Oh, double it another way!' jerked Rachel from the work-table. "'Come here, I'll do it for you.' "'Are you too lazy to come here?' replied Flutter Duck irritably. Rachel rose and went towards her, and rearranged the wrap. "'Oh, no, that won't do!' complained Flutter Duck, attitudinizing before the glass. "'It shows as bad as ever!' Oh, what shall I do? Do you know what I'll tell you? said her husband meditatively. Don't go. Flutter Duck threw him a fiery look. Oh, well, said Rachel, shrugging her shoulders and thrusting forward her lip contemptuously. It'll have to do. No, it won't. Lend me your pink one. I'm not going to have my pink one dirtied, too, grumbled Rachel. Do you hear what I say? exclaimed Flutter Duck, with increasing wrath. Give me the pink wrap. When the mother says is said, and she looked around the group of spectators, in search of sympathy with her trials and admiration for her maternal dignity. I can never keep anything for myself, said Rachel sullenly. You never take care of anything. I took care of you, screamed Flutter Duck, goaded beyond endurance by the thought that her neighbors were witnessing this filial disrespect, and a fat lot of good it's done me. Yes, much care you take of me. You only think of enjoying yourself. It's young girls who ought to go out, not old women. You impudent face! And with an irresistible impulse of savagery, a reversion to the days of Mediani, 
Flutter Duck swung round her arm and struck Rachel violently on the cheek with her white-gloved hand. The sound of the slap rang hollow and awful through the room. The workers looked up and paused. The neighbors held their breath. There was a dread silence, broken only by the hissings of the excited goose and the half-involuntary apologetic murmurings of Flutter Duck's lips. If I been a mother, I been a mother. For an instant, Rachel's face was a white mask, on which five fingers stood out in fire. The next it was one burning mass of angry blood. She clenched her fist, as if about to strike her mother, then let the fingers relax, half from a relic of filial all, half from respect for the finery. There was a peculiar light in her eyes. Without a word, she turned slowly on her heel and walked into her little room, emerging, after an instant of general suspense, with the pink wrap in her hand. She gave it to her mother, without looking at her, and walked back to her work, and poor foolish Flutter Duck, relieved, triumphant, and with an irreproachable head wrap, passed majestically from the room amid the buzz of the neighbors, who accompanied her downstairs with valedictory brushings of fur fluff from her shoulders, through the avenue of polygot commentators, into the waiting cab. All this time Flutter Duck's husband had sat petrified, but now a great burst of coughing shook him. He did not know what to say or do, and prolonged the cough artificially to cover his embarrassment. Then he opened his mouth several times, but shut it indecisively. At last he said soothingly, with kindly clumsiness, Nee, nee, shouldn't irritate the mother, Rachel. You know what she is. Rachel's needle plodded on, and the uneasy silence resumed its sway. Presently Rachel rose, put down her piece of work finished, and without a word passed back to her bedroom, her beautiful figure erect and haughty. Lewis heard her key turn in the lock. The hours passed, and she did not return. Her father did not like to appear anxious before the hands, but he had a discomforting vision of her lying on her bed in a dumb agony of shame and rage. At last eight o'clock struck, and, backwards as the work was, Lewis did not suggest overtime. He even dismissed the servant an hour before her time. He was in a fever of impatience, but delicacy had kept him from intruding on his daughter's grief before strangers. Now he hastened to her door, and knocked timidly, then loudly. "'Nee, nee, Rachel!' he cried, with sympathetic sternness. "'Enough!' But a chill silence alone answered him. He burst open the rickety door, and saw a dark mass huddled up in the shadow on the bed. A nearer glance showed him it was only clothes. He opened the door that led on to Jacob's ladder, and called her name. Then, by the light streaming in from the other apartment, he hastily examined the room. It was obvious that she had put on her best clothes and gone out. Half relieved, he returned to the sitting room, leaving the door ajar, and recited his evening prayer. Then he began to prepare a little meal for himself, telling himself that she had gone for a walk, after her manner, perhaps was shaking off her depression at the Cambridge Music Hall. Supper over and Grace said, he started doing the overwork, and then, when sheer weariness forced him to stop, he drew his comfortless wooden chair to the kitchen fire and studied rabbinical lore from a minutely printed folio. The Whitechapel church clock, suddenly booming midnight, awoke him from these sacred subtleties with a start of alarm. Rachel had not returned. The fire burnt low. He shivered and threw on some coal. Half an hour more he waited, listening for her footstep. Surely the music hall must be closed by now. He crept down the stairs and wandered vaguely into the cold, starless night, jostled by leering females, and returned forlorn and coughing. Then the thought flashed upon him that his girl had gone to her mother, had gone to fetch her from the wedding ball, and to make it up with her. Yes, that would be it. Hence the best clothes. It could be nothing else. He must not let any other thought get a hold on his mind. He would have to run round to the festive scene. Only he did not know precisely where it was, and it was too late to ask the neighbors. 
one o'clock. A mournful monotone, stern in its absoluteness, like the clang of a gate shutting out a lost soul. One more hour of aching suspense, scarcely dulled by the task of making hot coffee and cutting bread and butter for his returning womankind. Then Fluttertuck came back, alone, came back in her cab, her fading features flushed with the joy of life, with the artificial flowers in her false chignon and the pink wrap over her head. "'Where is Rachel?' gasped poor Lewis, meeting her at the street door. "'Rachel? Isn't she here? I left her with you,' answered Flutterduck, half sobered. "'Merciful God!' ejaculated her husband, and put his hand to his breast, pierced by a shooting pain. "'I left her with you,' repeated Flutterduck with white lips. "'Why did you let her go out? Why didn't you look after her?' "'Silence, you sinful mother!' cried Lewis. "'You shamed her before strangers, and she has gone out. To drown herself, what do I know?' Flutterduck burst into hysterical sobbing. "'You take her part against me. You always make me out wrong.' "'Restrain yourself,' he whispered imperiously. "'Do you wish to have the neighbors hear you again?' "'I dare say she's only hiding somewhere, sulking, as she did when a child,' said Flutterduck. "'Have you looked under the bed?' Foolish as he knew her words were, they gave him a gleam of hope. He led the way upstairs without answering, and taking a candle examined her bedroom again with ludicrous minuteness. This time the sight of her old clothes was comforting. If she had wanted to drown herself, she would not, he reasoned with perhaps too masculine a logic, have taken her best clothes to spoil. With a sudden thought he displaced the hearthstone. He had early discovered where she kept her savings, though he had neither tampered with them nor betrayed his knowledge. The tin box was broken open, empty. In the drawers there was not a single article of her jewelry. Rachel had evidently left home. She had gone by way of Jacob's ladder, secretly. Prostrated by the discovery, the parents sat down in helpless silence. Then Flutterduck began to wring her white-gloved hands, and to babble incoherent suggestions and reproaches, and protestations that she was not to blame. The hot coffee cooled untasted. The pink wrap lay crumpled on the floor. Lewis revolved the situation rapidly. What could be done? Evidently nothing, for that night at least. Even the police could do nothing till the morning, and to call them in at all would be to publish the scandal to the whole world. Rachel had gone to some lodging. There could be no doubt about that. And yet he could not go to bed. His heart still expected her, though his brain had given up hope. He walked about restlessly, racked by fits of coughing. Then he dropped back into his seat before the decaying fire. And Flutterduck, frightened into silence at last, sat on the sofa, dazed, in her trappings and gewgaws, with the white flowers glistening in her false hair and her pallid cheeks stained with tears. And so they waited in the uncouth room in the solemn watches of the night, pricking up their ears at a rare footstep in the street and hastening to peep out the window, waiting for the knock that came not and the dawn that was distance. The silence lay upon them like a pall. Suddenly, in the weird stillness, they heard a fluttering and a scurrying, and, looking up, they saw a great white thing floating through the room. Flutterduck uttered a terrible cry. "'Hero Israel!' she shrieked. "'Nee, nee,' said Lewis reassuringly though scarcely less startled, it is only that Trifa Goose got loose. "'Nay, nay, it's the devil!' hoarsely whispered Flutterduck, who had covered her face with her hands and was shaking as with palsy. Her terror communicated itself to her husband. "'Hush, hush, talk not so,' he said, shivering with indefinable awe. "'Say palms, say palms!' panted Flutterduck. "'Drive him out!' Lewis opened the window, but the unclean burn showed no desire to flit. It was evidently the not-good one himself. "'Hero Israel!' wailed Flutterduck. "'Since he came in this morning, everything has been upside down!' The goose chuckled. 
Lewis was seized with a fell terror that gave him a mad courage. Murmuring a holy phrase, he grabbed at the goose, which eluded him, and fluttered flappingly hither and thither. Lewis gave chase, his lips praying mechanically. At last he caught it by a wing, hailed it, hissing and struggling and uttering rasping cries to the window, flung it without, and closed the sash with a bang. Then he fell impotent against the work table and spat out a mouthful of blood. "'God be praised!' said Flutter Duck, slowly uncovering her eyes. "'Now Rachel will come back!' And with renewed hope they waited on, and the deathly silence again possessed the room. All at once they heard a light step under the window. The father threw it open and saw a female form outlined in the darkness. There was a rat-a-tat at the door. "'Ah, there she is!' hysterically ejaculated Flutter Duck, starting up. "'The Holy One be blessed!' cried Lewis, rushing down the stairs. A strange figure, the head covered by a green tartan shawl, greeted him. A cold og passed over his lips. "'Thank God! It's all right!' cried Miss Lefkovich. "'I see from your light you're still working. But isn't it time my Emmanuel left off?' "'Your Emmanuel?' gasped Lewis, with terrible suspicion. "'He went home early in the day. He was taken ill.' Flutterduck who had crept at his heels bearing a candle, cried out, God in Israel! She has flown away with Emmanuel! Hush, you piece of folly, whispered Lewis furiously. Yes, it was already arranged, and you blame me, gasped Flutter Duck, with a last instinct of self-defense ere consciousness left her, and she fell forward. Silence, Lewis began, but there was an awful desolation in his heart, and the salt of blood was in his mouth as he caught the falling form. The candlestick rolled to the ground, and the group was left in the heavy shadows of the staircase and the cold blast from the open door. "'God have mercy on me and the poor children! I knew all along it would come to that!' wailed Emmanuel's wife. "'And I advanced him his week's money on Monday,' Lewis remembered in the agony of the moment. End of Flutter Duck Chapter 3